Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I hope what I'm about to say, this talk, will be helpful if you're, you're really you're not sure about um, Christianity. You're not really sure about it at all. You're not sure about Jesus. You're not sure about whether it's all true. In fact, you might not be quite sure why you're here at all. I hope it's for you. And also, I hope this talk will be helpful if you may have been coming to this church for years or you may have been a Christian, a follower of Jesus for years. Um, I hope it will be helpful to you. I hope it will remind you of uh, what Paul wants you to be reminded of, which he mentions in the reading. And I hope it will help you in your work with Jesus every day. So let's just pray as we come to that. So Lord, we we thank you so much that uh, we can come and safely meet together. We thank you, Lord, that you have died, that you have risen, and that there is good evidence to back that up. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you'll help us all to listen to what you're saying to us this evening. And we ask this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. So, first of all, really, I, I want to ask three questions tonight. And the first one is, what is the good news? What is the gospel? Because Paul talks about that here. What, what are we saved from? So, it's what is the good news? What is the gospel? And what are we saved from? So what's the good news? Well, Paul is about to tell us in the next section. Um, Paul is going to let us know in a moment. So you're you're just going to have to wait a minute for that, okay? So hang on to that, what the good news is. You've just got to hang on. But then in these first few verses, which are going to come up now, Paul is, um, Paul is, is saying that Whatever this gospel, this good news is, it it will save us. It will save us. He says, by this gospel, you are saved. Now, you you may be sitting here this evening thinking, I'm not sure what the good news is. Well, as I said, Paul's going to come to that in a moment. We will get to that. And secondly, you're telling me the good news saves us, but I don't know if I need saving you know, what, what do I need saving from? I feel all right. And if you're thinking those things, then I'm sure some of you, if you're not thinking those things, some, some of your family, your friends, your work colleagues, people you're going to see tomorrow in your front line, they're going to be thinking those things, even if you aren't. If we ever mention the gospel to them, or good news, or, or why you should become a Christian, or Jesus, they're, they're going to be thinking those things. Because many people 
really don't think they need saving from anything. They basically think they're fine. And I can quite understand that. They, they don't think there's anything to be saved from, you see. So that's an issue when we go to work or whatever we do in our front line in the week. So let's try and briefly answer this question. You're telling me the good news saves us, but I don't know if I need saving. What do I need saving from? So I want to take you right back to the beginning of the Bible. I want to take you right back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, where it tells us, and that song was great, talking about God beyond the universe and creating the universe. That was just perfect for this. Because I want you to think right back to the creation of the world, the universe, God creating everything that exists. And then it paints a picture of the first human beings as in an intimate, peaceful relationship with God. In a situation where there's no death, there's no suffering, there's no war, there's no illness, nothing like that at all. And then these human beings ignore God. They walk away from God because they want to be in charge. They kind of want to be like God. They want to be God themselves. They want to be in charge. Now, maybe that's a bit like me and that's a bit like you. We kind of want to be in charge, don't we? But that's what they do. Then They don't follow the loving ways of their creator God who made everything. And so the Bible calls this sin, which is a word that, you know, has all kinds of connotations. But that's one of the meanings of sin, is the fact that we want to be God rather than God being God. So this tragic situation, as we see in Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, has occurred. And that intimate, that picture that we have there of the intimate, peaceful world, that relationship with God, which is wonderful, it's changed. And it's resulted in the world that we now know. We're all too familiar with. And although it does have wonderful people in this world, has wonderful beauty, like Sarah said, you look at the universe, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Although it has those things, it's also marred by, you know the list, death, suffering, war, you know, we've just had that awful thing in Sri Lanka. We had the other one in New Zealand. You know, all this stuff's going on all the time. We know what the world's like. Now, at this point, I want us to pause and imagine, all right? So you're in that kind of mood? Oh, dear. There's no one here this evening. Uh, are you in the kind of mood where you feel you could pause and imagine? Oh, thank you. I'm glad someone came in. Right. Now, so I'd like, if you don't mind, this is only going to take about a minute of pausing and imagining. I'd like you to close your eyes if you, if you feel you can. I'm not going to go around and go through your pockets while your eyes are closed, okay? It's nothing like that. And I want you to close your eyes and try and be open to God, or if you don't think there's a God, just try and be open and just relax. Just relax. And I want you to imagine a world... Or, if that's too big an imagining, maybe a situation, as you're closing your eyes now, that you've experienced, or you would like to experience, where there's only love, there's no fear, there's peace. I want you to try and think of a situation where it's like that. It might not have lasted long, or you'd like it to happen. I think it's really important to do this to try and get into how God sees things and how it was in the beginning, as it said in Genesis. Because as you imagine that place where, or that situation where it's peace, 
God exists in that situation already now. In God's kingdom, there is no death and so on now. That's where God exists. And the reason I want you to imagine it is because I want us to realize or be reminded that God wants the absolute best for us. He wants a loving, peaceful existence to be shared with us. So I'm going to be quiet now. So we're going to have silence just for about a minute. And, and just imagine a situation like that. And also be open. And if you get a thought or picture come in your mind, try and hold on to that and remember it. Right? And maybe talk to someone about it later if, if something comes up. So off we go. A bit of silence. Now, if you'd like to gradually come back into reality, and unfortunately you've got to look at me, which after whatever you were thinking about must be a, a major disappointment. But I, hang on to that. And if you feel something popped into your mind and you thought, oh, that's funny, maybe God's speaking to me about this or something, then do share it later on. You'll have a chance to do that, actually. So I hope you found that helpful. And if you felt God speak to you in some way, as I said, do chat with someone who you can trust about it later. So I want you, throughout this talk, which isn't that long, because you're going to do some more work later, but I'll come to that in a minute, I want you to hang on to that vision of peace, love, and intimacy maybe with our loving God. Whatever came into your mind. It might have been, I was thinking of uh, lying on a, a, a swimming pool with a beer and the sun. Oh. oh, sorry, I'm meant to be doing a sermon. Just remembered. Anyway, so hang on to that image, whatever it was, okay? But as we know now, sadly, we live in a very different situation uh, because we have walked away as a human race. We've borne the consequences of our sin. And part of the good news that Paul's talking about here is that God doesn't want this harsh existence for us and the death that results from it. God does not want that for us. That's good news. He wants us to come back to him like a parent who's lost a child. He wants us to come back to him. He wants that intimate relationship with us. He, he knew we couldn't sort it out ourselves, so he came to live among us in Jesus. Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. That's what Jesus came to save us from. That's why we need saving, because he wants that for us. There's something far better than what we have now. Hold on to that picture. That's what God wants for us. That's why we need saving. So when you talk to your friends, your people at work, that's why you need saving, because it's gone wrong, sadly. So Jesus is on a rescue mission. God's on a rescue mission coming in Jesus, and he wants to bring us back to that peaceful, intimate situation. Now, now we're going to get to the bit that uh, we've had to wait for. What happened that's good news? Right, This is the next bit. We're going to talk about the good news. Did it really happen? That's the other big question, isn't it? Did it really happen? Just before I came out, I, um, on my telephone, on the Facebook, which some of you may have heard of, uh, someone shared an article in The Guardian by Dr. Simon Gathercole, hope I pronounced it right. What is the historical evidence that Jesus Christ lived and died? And I'd suggest you read that if, uh, if you haven't read it before. Anyway, what happened that's the good news? Did it really happen? Did it really? That's what the article asked. Did it really happen? 
Paul says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now the signs for what Jesus would do in dying on the cross were there in the scriptures. That's the Old Testament part of the Bible. They were there before, hundreds of years before. That's what Paul and the other Christians read. That's that's what their scriptures were. And a well-known prediction, you probably know it, if you're a Christian you'll know this. The prophet Isaiah says, Isaiah 53, surely, he means Jesus, took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So Jesus, in dying, he sorted out for us the problem we have of walking away from God. So we've missed out on that wonderful existence. Jesus, in dying, overcame the pain and suffering we all experience in a world that, although has wonderful parts, has gone seriously wrong. And humanity has gone seriously wrong too. So God wants us to live this glorious life without pain and suffering, without the sin that entangles the world. And through Jesus' death on the cross... That situation has been overcome. And as Isaiah says, Jesus took up our pain, he bore our suffering. So when heaven and earth is remade, you have to jump to the end of the Bible for that bit, there will only be peace, healing, and and no suffering. So that was Isaiah. And then you get King David, who was an Israelite king, predicting Jesus' resurrection. He says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Peter explains that. Peter, who's referred to in the reading as Cephas, he explains it talking to a group of uh, Jews, Israelites, in the early days of the church. And he explains that passage and, and the significance of it, written hundreds of years before Jesus came, predicting what Jesus would do. And he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. I think that's in Jerusalem he was speaking. But uh, he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would speak to uh, place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. So you can see Jesus' death and resurrection were predicted in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before it happened. And then Paul continues, even more amazingly really, if it's not true, Paul continues that Jesus appeared risen to over 500 people. Now if it's not true, that would be a pretty stupid thing to say. Anyway, this is what Paul says in in the reading we've had. Jesus was buried, then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, Then he appeared to Peter, or Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Um, So Paul is talking there about people who are still alive and have seen Jesus risen from the dead. He's saying... You could check with these people. That's what he's saying. You could check they're still alive if you wanted to. 
Because when Paul wrote the letter, these people were still alive. You could check with them. To help you get an idea of the timing, I thought this might be useful. Jesus probably died in AD 30 to 33. There's a bit of disagreement about whether it might have been 30 or 33. And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth in about AD 54 to 57, about that timing. They can work it out. These clever, clever scholars can work all this stuff out. That is a maximum of 27 years or a minimum of 21 years later, okay? So get that in your mind. 27, 21, that's not that long, is it? That's what Paul's saying. Now, Jane, my wife and I, were married in 1982, which is 37 years ago. I know children here. That's a long time for you, but it's not for me. It's been joy. 37 years ago, that's at least 10 years longer than the gap between Paul writing and Jesus' death, right? Just to get this in context, I want you to understand this. So if you want to check that Jane and I got married... You can talk to us, obviously, except Jane can't make it tonight. But you can talk to me. I'll tell you what happened. You can talk to the best man. You can talk to my parents. You can talk to many other people who were there. Now, sadly, some people have died who were there, but most of them haven't. There are plenty of eyewitnesses still alive say Jane and Andrew got married 37 years ago, right? Now, that's longer than we're talking about here with Paul and, and when they saw Jesus risen. And there were about 100 other people I worked out who were still alive you could check with where that event took place, our marriage. Now, then, if you go back 21 years, which is more like this period, you come to 1998. Was anyone born in 1998? Anyone 21? Ah, marvellous. Well, in 1998, the Good Friday Agreement was signed. And you know about that, don't you? Because it's still in the news. It's a big thing in Ireland still. That's not that long ago, is it? And in 1998, Google was founded. Have you ever heard of Google? You see? It's not long ago, is it? Then Paul talks about these eyewitnesses. Up to 500 people have seen Jesus risen from the dead. It wasn't that long ago when he said it. And he said you could talk to them. So he'd have to be pretty stupid to say that if they, they weren't actually able to give the account that they'd seen Jesus risen from the dead. Because it's quite recent, isn't it? It's the equivalent of 1998 for us. So Paul is saying the evidence is clear. You can talk to many of these people as well as me. These people have actually seen Jesus raised from the dead. Paul is saying you can hear first-hand accounts from myself and others that Jesus is risen. I think that is very convincing evidence. There's more, but this is one bit of evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, what do you think? What do you think? And I'll give you a chance maybe to chat about it in a minute. But then there's another question people might come up with. They they might quite naturally ask the question, ah, yes, but can we rely on the New Testament, the Bible? It was written 2,000 years ago, you know, and Paul's letter's in there. How do we know that's a genuine letter? The whole thing could be made up. That's a reasonable question, I think. I've got to have a glass of water. I'm getting a bit excited. So, well, when we talk about the New Testament of the Bible, we're talking about an extremely well critically researched document, an ancient document that's critically well, well researched. And the Bible scholar F.F. Bruce says this about it. And he says, 
Oh, it's a bit small, isn't it? Not too bad. There's no body of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. If, if you don't understand what he's saying there, it means you can trust it. That's what he's saying. It's old, but you can trust it. A bit like, you can trust me mostly. I'm quite old. You can trust me. Um, anyway, he's saying that if you look at other ancient documents that are considered reliable records, the Bible is by far the best in terms of reliability, both in archaeological evidence to back it, and also, if you look at this table there, now I think, yeah, it's not too bad a slide. So, if you look at the table, I'll explain. You need to have explanations for tables, don't you? If it's got the time span with the original and the copy, can you see that bit? That, that less is better in that one. Because obviously the closer it is to the event and then the copy, or when it was written and the copy of it, the more accurate it's likely to be. The number of copies, more's better because then you can check them against each other. So you want more copies. That's good. And accuracy of copies, you can check the more you've got, the more you can check if they're the same or if they're, you know, it says one thing there and another thing there although they're meant to be the same. There's lots of mistakes, right? You can check it. So accuracy of copies, higher percentage is better. And there, I'd like you to concentrate now your minds on the green bits, okay? Caesar, first of all. Caesar's works of Julius Caesar are regarded as an important historical source by scholars. And yet, as you can see there, the time span between the original and a copy we have now is 1,000 years, which is a long time span. And there are only 10 copies. And accuracy is hard to predict, therefore, because there's only 10 copies. All right? If you look at the New Testament of the Bible, it has a time span between the original and the copy we have now of less than 25 to 50 years, according to the latest stuff I've read. And there are 24,000 copies and accuracy is 99.5%. I think that's pretty impressive. I don't know what you think, but you can see a big contrast between Caesar's works of Julius Caesar, which are regarded you know, as historical and, and very useful, and the New Testament. So I believe that means we can trust the New Testament, like F.F. Uh, uh, Bruce says. And, and this letter from Paul is part of that, and I think you can trust it as a genuine set of documents from 2,000 years ago, which bear up under this massive scrutiny that there is of critically minded intelligent scholars, archaeologists, and historians. So you can trust it, like F.F. Bruce said. So what does it mean for us? And in a minute you're going to do all the work now, and I'm just going to sit down, and you're going to chat to each other. I was just warning you about that. And I hope you don't mind. If you really don't want to talk to someone, get in a little group and don't say anything. That's how you do it, okay? Because I know what it's like. So, some people find it easier to talk than others to other people, you know. What does it mean for us? Even the worst of us, like Paul. And here you're emphasizing, Paul here, he was going around killing Christians, right? And then he became a Christian because he met Jesus. He changed. The grace of God changed him. So he's, he says, I'm the worst. I'm the worst there is. 
He says, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So Paul dramatically changed when he decided to follow Jesus. He was persecuting the Christians, and then he decided to follow Jesus. Uh, And he says he doesn't even deserve to be an apostle as he killed Christians. He persecuted the church of God. And I'm sure he must have felt terrible about that once he faced Jesus. But God's grace changed him. And Paul worked hard to serve God every day in his front line, and he was a tent maker. That's what his job was. I don't know what your job is. I don't know if you're paid or unpaid. I don't know if you care for people when you, you, you know, what, what you do during the week, but that's your front line. Paul's front line was tent making. That's how he made money. So what I'd like you to do now, if you don't mind too much, is for you to share something of your experience of what Jesus' death and resurrection means to you, how God's grace, God's unmerited favour, God's goodness, God's love works in you every day in your front line. Or God's Holy Spirit works in you every day in your front line, right? And if you're not at that stage and you're still not sure about it, just say, look, I'm not sure about all this and share what you're thinking and any questions you might have. And I'd love to answer any questions afterwards if I can, if you want to chat to me at the end. And the question is up there. What does Jesus' death, resurrection and God working in and with us mean in our everyday lives? That's the question. Or if you aren't sure, as it says there, whether it means anything. Do chat about that too. Feel free to chat about that. So I'll give you a few minutes. Just get in a group two or three or however you feel comfortable and have a little chat. And also, don't forget that bit of silence we had where you were imagining, all right? Because I think that's really important. If God said something to you or you had something come in you're a bit surprised about into your imagination, Maybe share that with someone as well, if you feel you can trust them. If not, find someone you know who you can trust and share it with them. Okay? Off you go. I'll give you about five minutes. Oh, you'll never stop now, will you? I know. Look, thank you for that. Um, If you want to carry on those conversations at the end, that would be great, you know. But I, I suppose what I'm trying to get you to think of is... Think about what God wants for us, and that's why he came. And that's what we need. We need saving from this, what we're in now, although it's got good bits. Because God wants something better for us. He wants the best for us, right? And that's, that's the nub of it. And he has sorted it out. He has. And there's lots of evidence to say he has. So um, if you'd like to, if, you, if that sounds a bit weird to you, please ask me afterwards about it. It'd be fine. Or ask Sarah. And um, do carry on those conversations at the end of the service. But I just want to encourage you too, as you go to work tomorrow, whatever you do in your front line, because there's an encouragement, not in this section of the letter, but there's a great encouragement there, which I really like from Paul. And he writes later in the letter, towards the end of chapter 15, he writes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And he was a tent maker, so presumably in that he tried to do that. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. That was the work God had given him particularly and other things that he did. Because you know 
that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What we do tomorrow at work, what we do in our front line is not in vain. It's important. God thinks it's important. And what he wants us to do is bring that kingdom uh, closer to people, that kingdom reality of that better life that he wants for all of us. Through God working, his grace working in us, he wants us to bring that closer to other people. So I just wanted to encourage you with that. Whatever we do to serve Jesus in our lives is not wasted Your labour in the Lord is not in vain. So don't think when you go to work tomorrow, whatever you do, that it's a waste of time and it's not worth doing. It's important. And God thinks it's important. Amen.